Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hello, hello. And depending on when you're listening, if you're, like if you're listening live right now, for example, welcome to what might be the close to the end of your week. It's like the 10th Friday in a row that it's rained. But if you're listening on a podcast like <laughs> a month from now, you know, you won't care. You know, different things will be happening. You'll have like, dragons flying by. It'll your, still be raining. It'll be raining. <laughs> with all, there'll be dragons flying by your window. All right. So it's the news. Uh, joining us today, John Dankosky, executive editor of the New England News Collaborative, host of The Wheelhouse, and next on WNPR. He's the host of a show called Next on WNPR. True. He's on host of something that's next on WNPR. <laughs> uh, Tanisha Dugan is a pro- producing associate at Theater Works. Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, and dancer, and she is founder, director, and choreographer of kinetic dance. I should mention that Mr. Dankosky is very excited right now about the 83rd annual Winstead Pet Parade. You have like lots of cats. Are they in the Pet Parade? No, actually, I, we have too many cats for the Pet Parade, but it's a really <laughs> cool they thing. A, they have a limit? 80, <laughs> 83 years yeah. of, of Winstead and people walking their dogs down the street. I actually heard this year that if you just want to draw a picture of an animal, you can march with the picture of the animal, yeah, even if you don't have the animal. It's a tribute to Saul Lewitt, actually, to do con- <laughs> uh, conceptual animal. Um, but so, but you got four cats, right? I do. Why, I do. Why, why can't they be in the parade? Uh, there, I, I don't know that I'd find them after the parade, I, right. and we don't have a way of walking them. You on, need a float. You need to get the cat backpack, like I have for Prince Harry. Carolyn was talking about the cat backpack. I may try to work up something. All right. I thought maybe the cats were just like being difficult. They had Scott Boris rep- representing them they're, or something. They're union yeah. cats. Yeah, they only so, work on certain uh, days. Or they're small cats too, right? Mm-hmm. It might be a thing. You know, a cat must be this tall to be in the parade. Is that a uh, thing? Like a teacup cat? Yeah, right. yeah, it's a teacup cat. That's gotcha. exactly it. I can so, wear it in my pocket. So yes. Carolyn, uh, who also has a cat, uh, but is not talking about that, she wants to, you to know about the New Haven International Film Festival, uh, which is going on right now and running through the weekend. And Carolyn does have a dark. Uh, comedy political call to action short in it, and I believe it's juried, and so and it's today, right? Yes, today, it, yeah, so tonight at us uh, at seven All right. airs. So, um, so yeah. go down and see that, uh, and also. Uh, because she's always operating on about 92 different levels, uh, she also has. It's kind of like the nose had a baby, or we, <laughs> or we had triplets, or something. Because Teresa Kramer, Rebecca Castellani, and uh, Carolyn are all doing a Big Little Lies podcast, uh, and it's called the Big Little Podcast. You can look it up, or you can find it at thebigglittlepodcast.com. And so, basically, recapping, reviewing the previous season of Big Little Lies, and then it gets going with Meryl Streep in about three weeks, and that's when. As far as I'm concerned, the rubber hits the road for yes. your podcast. Yeah. All right. So enough plugging. Um, and it's time instead to talk a little bit about uh, the endings of two shows, but I think the endings of shows in general. In fact, with that in mind and to inspire you and to make you think of the way that shows have ended in the past, uh, Jonathan McPants has uh, provided the following montage. Thank you, America. That's our show. Not a lot of people watched it, but the jokes are on you. Cause we got paid anyway. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jenna Maroney. The Irma Lerman Merman murder. Turn the birds word lurid. Last night, as I lay awake in my bed, I, I wondered how do I tell these dear friends and colleagues how I feel about it. <clears throat> Honey, wake up. You you won't believe the dream I just had. Mm. <laughs> but don't you want to hear about it? The second button is the key button. <laughs> <laughs> 
It literally makes or breaks the shirt. Look at it. It's too high. It's in no man's land. Haven't we had this conversation before? You think? I think we have. Yeah, maybe you have. Sorry, we're closed. I think what I was feeling was best expressed in the lyrics of that wonderful old song. It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to go. This is Turt Baxter saying good night and good news. Has he been to give you any trouble? He's been sitting there ever since you left this morning, just like he does every day. World of his own. Look, I know how tough it is for you to say goodbye, so I'll say it. Whenever I see a big pair of feet or a cheesy mustache, I'll think of you. Whenever I smell month-old socks, I'll think of you. All right, we're not going to do the whole nine seconds of blackness. Uh, but so you heard little bits of the endings of 30 Rock, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, New Heart, Seinfeld, Cheers, St. Elsewhere, MASH, and The Sopranos. We're uh, looking at uh, the final episode, Sunday night of Game of Thrones, probably the most watched TV show in the history of the world, by who's counting, uh, and Veep... Uh, perhaps a less watched show, but not without its charms, ended last Sunday night. So it's one of the reasons we want to talk about all this. And so, um, Carolyn, I'm, I'm going to go to you first because I know that you wa- have been watching Veep straight along, as have I. Um, and this, we'll try, I guess we'll try not to do spoilers, or how do we feel about spoilers for the oh, final spoil. episode of Veep? Um, I mean, I don't it's know. Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday. That's right. Yeah, you've you had, have all week to watch you've it. Had, you've had all week. So we post. probably will talk. Tell, I, I don't really think anyway it's pl- that plot driven, but there's perhaps more plot in it than there is in some comedies, assuming you think Veep is a comedy. Anyway, you have the floor. Uh, well, so I, I have to start all of this by saying I actually hate series finales. And historically speaking, I tend to avoid watching them, which sounds really weird. It could be a show that I was so invested in, but it's sort of like I just want to have my own closure with it because I'm never satisfied with the closure that you're given. I guess this like dates back to, I, I, I don't know, like Seinfeld finale. I was a huge Seinfeld fan, and, and, and that last episode, although I did win a bet on it because I said that they're going to finish the way they started, and that conversation about the button is in the first episode. So I did technically win a bet on that. But I wasn't satisfied with where the episode – you know, it, it's hard. Like, how do, you, how do you end something, and especially with Seinfeld, which was a show about nothing, and then with Veep, where it's a show that doesn't have – I they they tried to bring a lot of heart to a show that didn't have heart. I felt like there there were there were moments where they actually tried to kind of dig into this sentimental place that was awkward for that show. Although you would have to be pretty imbued with the overall attitude of Veep to recognize any sentimental spaces. Well, that moment where she is going to yell about her incompetent staff and she's just there in the office alone. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that was that that was the moment. That, right. That, that was sort hit. of her sort of Gatsby citizen yeah. moment. I don't know how <laughs> sentimental it actually was. You know, John, this may get to your theory also, but the difference between finales or endings, anyway, of a comedy series versus a drama uh, y- series. Yeah, I think with, with comedies, and I've been thinking a lot about, we heard some of those in the montage, you know, New Heart and uh, MASH and Cheers. I mean, the Big Bang Theory ended uh, last night. I couldn't stand the Big Bang Theory, so I did not watch um, <laughs> their finale. But with comedies, it's kind of like this. It's a half hour, 22 minutes. There's a laugh track some of the time. 
And when it's over, it's over. I'm done with those characters. I'm done with that world. I don't need it because I'm not invested so much to know what happens next. Whereas with dramas, I really I, I want to be in a place where I know that that world continues. I just don't see what's happening after the last show, if that makes sense. And so in some ways, the, the finale of Game of Thrones could be whatever, but that world's going to keep going. Whereas the finale of Veep or the finale of Cheers or whatever else, it's, it's done. Okay, we make a last joke or we make a, a little tearful goodbye and then we finish it. You know, Tanisha, it's so different from pretty much all other kinds of performed art, right? I mean, when a play is over, it's over. I mean, nobody's, you know, first of all, a lot of plays, nothing can happen after the play. I mean, Othello and Desdemona cannot get into counseling, you know. Uh, they are dead. When a movie, when a, when a, and <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> when a movie's over, I mean, there are movies with sequels and stuff like that. that but for the, most, for the most part, movies just kind of end. We're really talking about a very specific thing where people watch something in installments for five years and, and then have to make their own peace with the end of it. I guess so. You know, I, I probably take a little umbrage because I think that all characters live on forever. Maybe that's because I trained as an actor. So like my whole craft is about what happens before and after what you see. Um, so I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that with comedies. Absolutely there's a life after those people because they're still going to go to the Central Park. Central Park. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and meet up again and their life continues. So, you know, I think... For me, you know, what's interesting is is what happens after. And that I think the work of the observer, the audience, is in the discovery of what happens next. And I'm like you. I don't really like yeah. the finales because they're trying to tell me what that is. Well, can I just push back, though? I think it's the, it's the depth of the characters, whether it's a comedy or a drama. And often the comedies that we've come to know have characters who aren't that terribly deep. Yes, maybe the Seinfeld characters go on or the Friends characters go on, but I don't really care because what they were there <laughs> to do for me was Crappy make me laugh writing. on a Thursday <laughs> night, right? And and I think that that's the different thing is if you have seven seasons of Game of Thrones and then a pretty crappy last season of Game of Thrones, you really care about these characters so, so much that you need to know what happens in that world in a different way than what happens at the end of even the Mary Tyler Moore show, mm. a, a show with good characters. So that brings us to the interesting point of a finale that was like much talked about because people didn't like it, like the Sopranos one. And I was a huge Sopranos fan. And I actually loved the finale because you didn't know what happened, mm. because it was like open ended. And that's something, like I said, not watching the finale of a show. Like I, I never saw the finale for Friends or 30 Rock or any of that or Parks and Rec. And those were shows I loved. And I purposely just walked away from the finale and I've never watched the last episode of those shows that way it just it feels like it never ends like I can it, I don't have anything that will change how I viewed what I loved I know that's a really weird thing but actually the no, entire cast of friends shows up on the Parks and Rec finale <laughs> and all together I can't believe you missed that what were you going to say I, just, I think that for me I wish there was more of an obligation to tell me why this piece of art was created ah. like that's what oh. I want to know um, when a series finishes. Mm -hmm. Like, like why? Talks right to camera and says, let me explain this to you. <laughs> Wouldn't mind it. <laughs> and I think there's probably some more clever you know, ways I, yeah. to, in I, fact, do that. I probably would hate that less than, like, a finale that, you know, attempts to wrap everything up with a bow or have, like, you know, some big group hug. Like, I don't need that. I would be, I guess, more interested in... Uh, even if the intention is that, and it's not as, uh, as literal as breaking the fourth wall, even if the intention is just to give me the context behind why it went on for seven years as opposed <laughs> 
used to just two. You know, <laughs> like sometimes that's you well, know the we, answer. We, we've actually talked about this in the newsroom a lot. There's so much good television to watch, but even with all the great recommendations and things, I get sick of things after. Sometimes when I see that there's a third season, I'm like, I just but don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't oh, watch. Yeah. I didn't watch the third season of The Leftovers as much as I liked the first two seasons because we just like I was done with that whole thing because there's other things to watch. I don't Shameless. need to keep yeah. going. Never you know, even got into it. Should probably end. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, there you go. Never even watched it, and I sort of gathered that I didn't really need to. And <laughs> became much more about leftovers. And now the star's yeah, gone, became, so why? It became much more about leftovers. <laughs> they would like look in the refrigerator and just see if there was anything there. That they, they I'm hungry. Really kind of Nobody delivered cooked on, yesterday. Uh, delivered on the title in a way they never had before. But um, So we, we, one thing we should say about Veep and I think 30 Rock these are not shows that have characters that you, for the most part, love. Like you don't have anybody with whom you can sympathize uh, in these in these shows. Uh, we should play a little clip from the end of Veep. Veep uh, is a show that began during the first term of the Obama administration, as did Game of Thrones. The world has changed substantially. The world we live in has changed substantially while these hermetic environments, you know, play out their own fictional stories. And sometimes I think listen to what's going on out in the world, especially. In the case of Veep, as the world got darker, Veep got even darker. We hear Jonah Ryan, who's the most reprehensible and dysfunctional uh, and stupid character in a pretty reprehensible and dysfunctional cast of characters. He's talking to his wife, his wife Beth, uh, on the final episode. For the last year, I have been crisscrossing the country, warning America about the threat of math to our way of life, which is why President Meyer, Senator Talbot, and Governor Calhoun, I have something to say to you. I told you so. He told you Yeah. Oh, hey, do you remember my five-alarm hottie of a wife, Beth? She just got out of rehab today. Yeah. And plus, while she was in there, she dropped a couple pounds in all the right places, so she's hella even hotter than she was before. Kill her! Yeah. I mean, not her, man, but... Yeah, sure. Look, I love America, but it is time to face facts. This is a horrific country that is falling apart because it is full of people who are different than me. I was right, and that means I should be president. Thank you. John, one thing that you and I have t- t- yeah. said is that one of, the, one of the struggles for Veep has been to create a world as dark and dysfunctional as it needs to be to actually constitute a satire or parody of the existing reality. And one of the things that the crews and casts and creators of Veep would hear when they would shoot in Washington, people would come over and say, how did you know about that? You know, And they would have thought they had invented some absolutely insanely ridiculous plot and <laughs> – you know, I mean, it would turn out it was very close to something that had actually happened. And I do think as absurd as Jonah is there, I, you know, you can sort of recognize certain elements in American you, life. You can. And I think it's it's really in the end why I, I just don't love the show is because as the world and the world of politics that we cover got darker and darker and darker, a show that even went darker than that in order to satirize it just became unbearable. It's just too much. And it's just frankly too mean. I, I, I There are jokes That's on this show. <laughs> there are jokes on this show that I just can't defend. I just can't defend some of the things they make fun of. And so it's hard for me. I'm like, I kind of chuckled at that, but I just can't laugh at that. And I think that that's, it just went too dark. 
I mean, mm. Tanisha, one of the things the show's creators did say, that there's a lengthy package of articles in New York Magazine, and, and they said, look, as we watched what happened to the country from uh, 2011 or 2012, whenever the show went on the air, to 2016, 2017, they, they, they said we had a number of possible responses. But what we decided to do was to sort of mirror the darkness that we, we saw. And that's one thing that television can do is create art in real time about the situation we're living in. Yeah. You know, I, full disclosure, I never watched Veep, but mm-hmm. I picked up on the finale just so mm-hmm. that I could have some context. Right. Um, and I think what I saw was exactly what you say. I saw a mirror. It didn't it was funny, but it didn't break the bounds enough to really be satire. Um, perhaps because they couldn't figure out where the end of where the edge of our world actually is, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so, and so I was like, I, like I didn't that. find it particularly mean, right? Because, right. well, that's what we're hearing, and that's how people talk. And um, I think it's interesting to hear you say that it's mean, but I'm also like. So do you live in a world – do you experience the world as like fundamentally oh, mean? I, I just – at a certain point, you just – the world is a mean place and this is just a distillation of it in a 25-minute mm-hmm. you know, show that kind of makes you feel like, uh, oh, God, I, I get so much of that in the world. Do I need an injection of that right now? From my television show. Mm-hmm. I would, I I would like to say, having worked with John Dankowski for 10 years, he's kind of like John Lennon, which is, is that he can certainly, certainly capable of, of sussing out quite a bit of darkness in the world and <laughs> perceiving lots of things that are horrifically wrong. But there also is this dreamer, <laughs> this dreamer who never lets go. He always believes that things could absolutely be done better and we're maybe on the verge of doing things a little bit better. I'll always be more of a West Wing guy than a Veep guy. Yeah. Mm. And well, and I think oh, the miss of Veep is that it doesn't <laughs> actually allow us to think about it yeah. because... I, you know, I didn't think it was sentimental, but I was like, you're trying really hard to have me understand these people as humans. And actually, you should allow the Lotsi of this to, well, to be what it is. Because I think throughout the series, are. that's what they did. And I think that show was at its best when it was like at its worst and at its meanest. I mean, it was like like Shakespearean, like modern Shakespearean level <laughs> insults that would come out of the mouths of these characters. And Selena's just her, the way she spoke and treated other humans was so awful that it was wonderful. And I like, a, I have a dark sense of humor. Like I like that. Uh, so to me, that was what draw, that's what drew me into the show right from the beginning. Yeah, it's Commedia. And I think they probably would have done well, if they had thought about it more as a fantasy, well, more I, like Game of Thrones <laughs> instead of trying to, you know, root it in a reality. I will say, and we need to segue over to Game of Thrones because it's a, we're almost perched on a national emergency because of the <laughs> uh, discontent with the Game of Thrones final season. But uh, I, mean, I, I do think that Veep, I watched the fu- finale twice. And the second time, I was more disturbed. I was kind of laughing and just sort of enjoying the end of the ride of the first time around. I was more disturbed, you know, by some of the just incredible base cruelties in it. Although having covered politics for a long time, I recognized them as, you know, fairly plausible cruelties. There's a moment where one of the characters has a heart attack uh, in <laughs> in one of the skyboxes at a at the national political convention, and he's been a very very close confederate of all the other characters. And they kind of like look down at him and touch him and stuff. But there's an emergency going 
going out on the convention floor, and Selena kind of hops over him, almost tripping on his leg as she runs out to deal with that, leaving him to either live or die on the floor. I completely know politicians and political operatives who could come very close to living out that scene. But they do end They end in a way that we recognize as an ending. I guess maybe I will say it goes into the future. Uh, and then they also do the thing that is so common now. They do a kind of meta thing. There's a little joke at the end about that kind of connects to our second topic today about what happens when somebody famous dies and then somebody <laughs> even more famous dies. Um, so, And it uh, again was a reference to something from the very first episode. Right. So you, you try to tie things up and, and you try to also get a little bit meta. All right. So on to Game of Thrones. Uh, things are happening even as I speak. There are people who are doing <laughs> change.org petitions. Half a million people had already signed a petition. It's not uh, what that website is for. <laughs> d- yeah, d- demanding uh, a totally rewritten and newly shot final season because this one is not up to their standards. It ends for good tomorrow night. Uh, we uh, I'll give, Just to give you a little scene setter or put you in the mood or off the mood or whatever. So this is from the episode four of this season. This is after the characters on Game of Thrones have won a war against a horrible, destructive force that I won't go into detail describing. And now they're sort of enjoying the fruits of that, particularly the fermented uh, fruits of that victory and talking among themselves. So you'll hear the characters Jamie Lannister, Davos, Seaworth, uh, Tyrion Lannister just talking about uh, what it's like to win. We fought dead things and left to talk about it. This isn't the time to drink. When is? Last time I saw her, until I'd kill her if I ever saw her again. I'm sure you had your reasons. I did. I do. So, did you? Never got the chance. She did it to herself. Or her god did it to her. Lord of Light. We play his game from we fight his war and win. And then he f***ed off. No signs, no blessings. Who knows what he wants? I don't imagine thinking about that subject will leave you any happier than before. What if I'm trying to be happy? And you're in luck. We may have defeated them, but we still have us to contend with. Thank you. I feel much better. All right. We may have defeated them, but we still have us to contend with. You're listening to some audio of the kind of thing Carolyn Payne would never watch. Uh, and But, but. Um, I tried. You tried? You actually well, made an effort? So, yeah. Actually, last year after I uh, had surgery for my ankle, mm. my... I, my brother was like, oh, this is a perfect time for you to catch up on Game of Thrones so you can, like, you know, be with the rest of civilization and <laughs> talk about it. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was because, I, you know, I just had surgery. So I was like, you know, taking painkillers. I was groggy. I was cranky. Uh, I just couldn't latch on to it. And I never really went back and invested in it. So, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure like in some sort of 
alternate universe. I love Game of Thrones, but I've no. never. No, you so, don't. <laughs> you know, there is no such place where you love Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm pretty, I've traveled many universes. I've never seen a place where Perfect. Carolyn Bain okay. would love Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, Tanisha, in a way, this is sort of ducking the question, um, but in a way, there's so much is built up around this, maybe to an unprecedented degree. There might be no way for them to craft a season that wouldn't create all kinds of, well, th- that's not enough responses. Yeah, you know, I think they painted themselves into a bit of a corner by um, ending the show uh, and feeling like they needed to end it. Um, And we're sort of seeing the result of that um, in in this effort to sort of give us the answers to all of these people as opposed to allowing the world to live on uh, past the final episode. Um, And so there's kind of weird decisions like, oh like that's what goodness. it feels like. They feel like decisions <laughs> as opposed to like actually writing <laughs> the story as it should unfold. Um, Th- that's exactly it. I, I I think that the problem you what you said is you know as you make these decisions and you decide that you're going to end it in a certain way. What ends up happening is. It's one of the worst things that happens in any ending of anything is let's just get everyone who's ever been on the show who's still alive in the same room at the same time. Mm -hmm. And let's have them look at each other and figure out what we're going to do next so that we can all gather them and then we can have little plays inside of plays. The show, when it was great in the first couple of seasons, it was because you went, much as the opening did, from place to place, from castle to castle, from different land to different land. It was hot down south and it was cold up north and there was different creatures in different places. And you felt as though there were seven or eight connected storylines all happening at the same time. Now it's just a bunch of folks who've all ended up in the same place at the same time. They're the only ones left. They don't have anything interesting to say to one another anymore, which is really difficult for people like me who've loved the show. And now I'm waiting for it to end. Mm-hmm. I'm not excited for it to end. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for the ending so it will be over. Yeah, I, Jonathan, <laughs> sounds great. But that's the great tragedy, right? Because right. it is such a great show. Yes. And there was so much potential of what this season could be. And had they done exactly that, which is to allow us to continue to follow these people doing what they are meant to do as opposed but to maybe they let's get them together. They were making this easier on everyone. You, you know how like when you break up with someone and like at the end of the relationship everything sucks but it, so it makes it easier when it ends? <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's kind of like that. Maybe they're just, you know. I don't like, think that, that was a conscious <laughs> effort on their part. I just <laughs> have a hard time And it doesn't that. even feel like a setup for another show. Which no. I might be like okay with, but I'm like I don't even think I want to watch whatever show is going there, to come. Yeah, there will be spinoffs and prequels and all kinds of stuff like that. We know that the the, the brand will be extended for uh, for a while. I have some updates for you: 848,000 signatures now demanding the entire literally final Alabama. season. Like, <laughs> yeah. Literally, because the, because don't. there's nothing else in the world right right now that across this planet that you might want to get together and write a petition about. That's truly amazing to me. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) Why have her kill the entire city if the people aren't like, oh, that's what this is for? Well, that power yeah. can do awful things. Yeah. Well, to us plebes. Yes. So, <laughs> that's not. 
So since we're talking about endings, Bill Curry's uh, theory is that the series ended actually last Sunday night, that uh, who's going to win the Game of Thrones? Nobody's winning the Game of Thrones. There might not even be a throne left uh, to sit on at this point. Uh, and so whatever else happens here on Sunday it's, night. We never saw the throne, did we? We didn't see We didn't see the outcome of the throne. And, you know, it's got all kinds of really cool swords in it or whatever. Maybe they don't melt. I don't I'm know. I'm now betting on Tanisha's ending. Okay. <laughs> Tyrion just walks right out, looks straight into the camera and says, Here's what's going on. (laughs) I'd watch that for 58 minutes. Or 15. (laughs) Or 15. (laughs) I don't need the full episode. (laughs) Right. And we should say that one thing that this series does that is increasingly common is they kind of do that at the end of every episode. There's Mm -hmm. uh, the the creators then talk to you. And now there's another thing called Game of Thrones Revealed or something like that where, I mean, you can really watch. And I did watch after last week's episode uh, (laughs) this subsequent 30 or – Well, actually, the other person in my house has some reluctance about this because she doesn't like to see actors out of character. So Uh. she he doesn't want to see Peter Dinklage saying, yeah, well, I, this is what I did with, with Tyrion at this point. I do want to say that one thing that's happening on this series um, that's, that I haven't seen too much of in the past excuse me, is that some of the actors are saying, wow, I just had to yeah. sort of figure stuff out in my head yeah. because they didn't really give me anything to work with in order to make this transition that they've got me making uh, or they, or I felt like they stopped developing my character and I had to do it myself or, <laughs> you know. And it's why I teased you about the why because, of course, like you need it. You need to understand where the creators are coming from. Right. Like that, that post-Game of Thrones episode are so essential right now because mm. nothing is quite making sense. All right. <laughs> we have to stop there, uh, so we'll have time to talk about something else. Uh, but uh, well, let me just quickly go around the table. Favorite series finale ever? Um, I'll pass for now. Okay. Go. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. No, unfair question, maybe. I you guess Sopranos. Sopranos? So you yeah. liked the way the Sopranos I did. Yeah. I liked yeah. I liked that mystery. Uh, uh, for me, it was Six Feet Under, which ended with uh, Lauren Ambrose kind of driving away in a car. But then there was a, kind of all this sort of how this – I like the things where you see in the future how the stories play I, out. I don't know that it was my favorite one ever, but the one that will always uh, stick with me is MASH, just because I, I like the helicopter shot at the mm-hmm. end of the thing. And, and you sort of felt a little bit of the heartstrings, but right. that's my favorite. I don't know that it was the best, but Got it's win. the one I remember. I don't watch enough TV. All right. That's fine. All bad. right. So we're going to uh, take a little break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the so-called rule of three in Famous Death deaths and three deaths that did actually happen. All right. Every day uh, people die. That's the reality. A lot of people die uh, every day, and some of them are, I feel like Jack Webb all of a sudden. Some of them are famous, some of them aren't. That's where I come in. It's Friday. I carry a badge. All right. That was a really old reference. Um, But so this week, um, in fact, uh, three fairly well-known people, very well-known people, I think it's reasonable to say, uh, Peggy Lipton, the actress, uh, the comedian and actor Tim Conway and Doris Day uh, all died this week. Uh, They all pretty much come from a comparable sector uh, of show business. Uh, We want to talk a little bit about these deaths in particular, but maybe we should start with this kind of rule of three stuff. So um, and and so, Tanisha, this is I mean, we can pull it apart and, 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 and we will. But it's, I don't know, people almost like the idea of ordering their world a little bit by looking for those threes. Like you're, you said, your mom does that. She does. She's, she's always like, okay, we got two deaths, one more. And when the one comes, she's like, okay, we're good. We're, yeah. we're, we're covered. And I think, you know, you hit on it. It's about ordering the world. It's about, you know, trying to understand things that aren't 
you know, understandable, uh, and hoping to predict or stave off anything awful, right? <laughs> that I've that I've exceeded my limit of awfulness because I've hit the number three. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, do you do you participate in this, Carolyn? This, uh, uh, this um, rule of three stuff. <laughs> so I thought that the rule of threes just uh, just applied to celebrities. Um, I I was I first heard about the rule of threes. I was in a play called Threes, and it was this young playwright. And it still to this day, I think it was one of the best things I've ever I, I've ever been in. The script was hilarious because it dealt with like you know, the, these characters had two deaths, and then they were trying to plot how to make a third happen so that they were safe. Um, and then so after doing that show, I then became aware of this, and it just seemed like I was like every time there were celebrity deaths, it it was in Threes. So I began to really kind of follow that pattern. Uh, but I, I didn't necessarily put it in context of my own life or like bad things happening in mm. threes. Uh, but it does – it oddly seems to happen. Well, I, I think, first of all, journalists are probably a little bit responsible for this because – Oh, totally. <laughs> right. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. Because also we notice. So, we notice that we have to ramp into a certain kind of coverage a certain number of times. Well, and we, we like to list things. And when you put things in threes, it's better than things in twos or things in fours. The thing that I think we always do think about when you have a famous person die and then another one in, in quick succession – you have to sort of suss out, okay, what's the hierarchy of these people? And if you think about these three people who died this this week, <laughs> you know, look, Peggy Lipton, Doris Day, and Tim Conway. Now, I grew up with the comedy of, of Tim Conway. I, I wasn't – I didn't really understand much about Peggy Lipton's early career, but I certainly did understand Twin Peaks. But Doris Day is kind of like <laughs> on a Mount Rushmore of like famous people in America. I love it. And so the question is, are they really three together <laughs> – or is it Doris Day and, and some other waiting. slightly less famous people like Tim Conway and then maybe Peggy Lipton, who's who's an actress, who's just an actress that some of us know? Well, I could push back against that Peggy okay. Lipton part of it, but uh, oh, but okay. Course, so wait, you're saying I'm it's like not about the Quincy three? Jones? It's like you, there's like a high, there's a ranking with with groups of threes that that is a sub. It, it's it's category. very it's very rare that you would have three people who are of the same stature. Uh, who would pass away in the same week? I mean, and there, this didn't happen at the same time. But if it was, you know, if Elvis, Michael Jackson, and I'm looking at the screen here, David Bowie all died in the same week, you'd think, my goodness, well, that's mm. the rule of three. Well, These it are was, people. It was right. Michael Jackson, Farrah Fawcett, and somebody else, right? I in, was, in, in, but in that, I think that that's fashion, a, yeah. that that's even an interesting one to think about. Farrah Fawcett, like Fawcett, you're not quite sure. Yeah, she's a famous person <laughs> who we yeah. knew, and we maybe had a poster on our on our wall as a, as a child. Maybe more than one poster. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> all, right. Uh, um, all right. So, well, I, maybe let's get down just because we, we're a little bit pressed for time. Let's get down to uh, to brass tacks a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe we need to stand up for uh, Peggy Lipton here, Tanisha. I, I I mean, I think so. I was la- laughing when you would uh, when we were talking earlier this week, and you were talking about uh, you know this famous kiss she had, this interracial kiss that she had on one of her shows, and I was like. And you were like, and nobody batted an eye. And I was like, well, of course not. She was married to one of like the most famous black people of all time. Although I do, although I'm not they sure. Married, yeah, they might have been. Yeah. So just to set that up, so she was on Mod Squad. Mod Squad introduced uh, this idea that these three kids, three young people with maybe a somewhat troubled past, were formed into a crime fighting unit. Uh, and uh, th- this included a young blonde woman, Peggy Lipton, and uh, Clarence Williams uh, playing Link, uh, an African American young man. And there was, yeah, there was written. Into 
into a scene. I think that he was just exchanging a little friendly kiss on the cheek. The network executives went nuts, said you can't do that. Uh, but the but Aaron Spelling, the creator of this, won the argument, and he said he got no feedback from the public whatsoever. <laughs> Nobody cared at all. There were there was no hate mail. There was no nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, where I sit in my life, she's always been a just a bit of a cultural avatar, mm-hmm. you know, and you know she's Rashida Jones' mom, and um, she sort of represents a. a, a a culture war in some ways for me of, of a kind of person that uh, at least gave us an, a sense of a different kind of family and that so she sits a well above Tom. See, okay. I guess I, well, well I would have ranked her as the I, lowest because I, yeah. I knew I sort of, I mean I, the mod squad was it was before my time. I mean I know who she is, but I I wouldn't I I wasn't like you know shedding a tear over her. I mean she's um, also got Twin Peaks and and well yes I knew yeah and Twin Peaks really was I mean I've been thinking that, about that a lot this week that Twin Peaks was on it was all the things that we think of as destination or peak television these days except that it was the only example of it. <laughs> there was nothing else anything like it. The <laughs> The other six days of your week, you just yeah. thought, well, I wonder when Twin Peaks is going to be on again. So you give her, I give her a little bit for that. Too. No, for sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, Doris Day, I, I actually like I was like, oh, she was still alive. I mean, well, that she was, was 97. So yeah. it tends to throw people off. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, I guess I would like I like John said, I think she would probably like rank the highest as far as like celebrity stock, I guess, of these three. Although, Tim, you what you think? No, because she like sits nowhere on my radar. I'm like, oh, yeah, the reference in Greece. Well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I think the girl I, next door. I think John and I are on the same page about this too. You kind of have to tease Doris Day apart. She was good at teasing uh, anyway, but you have to tease her apart into two segments. One of them is the musical segment, and the other one is sort of the movie icon uh, segment. And she wound up standing for a certain kind of thing. As a singer, she was actually really a remarkable singer who came out of the big band tradition and sang. Well, this is what she sang like. <laughs> Stars have disappeared from sight and there's no moon at all. Don't make a sound, it's so dark. Even Fido is afraid to bark. What a perfect chance to bark and there's no moon at all. Should we want atmosphere for So, John, I'll I'll let you have the floor here. Well, she's a remarkable jazz singer, I think, in part because she wasn't always a jazz singer. She's someone who uh, was famous for some popular songs. Uh, She was famous for some songs like Que Sera Sera that that she didn't even like singing Mm -hmm. and she didn't think were very good songs. But as a big band singer, as a jazz singer, she had a very, very, as you can hear, clear tone and a very uh, specific way of singing that was unlike a lot of the other singers from the era. Stop it. And, and she went, I, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't like the Doris Day sound? I'm very clear listening to this why she hasn't popped into my radar. Yeah. And all I can say is yeah. Beyonce and Taylor Swift. And no. I know I'm going to yeah. make some oh, people no, no, mad. No, no, no. I'm, with, I'm with you there. And trust me, <laughs> just uh, there's a million singers, there's a million singers who I 
personally like and listen to more than Doris Day. She was a very influential singer, and she's someone who actually had a very long career doing two different things in which the thing that she wasn't as well known for, singing, was the thing that she was much, much better at. Yeah, and Tanisha, one yeah. thing I will say, and yeah. maybe you, this can build a bridge. So you and I have both done some singing under the tutelage of the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I found if there was a song I needed to learn— um, you know, you can't get the Sarah Vaughn version of it because Sarah Vaughn is going to p- completely make this song her own and you're not going to sing it or the way Sinatra sings it for that matter. But the Doris Day version, even though with that one she's sort of syncopating it a little bit, but the Doris Day version was always very, very clearly sung, nicely sung. You know, she styles a little bit, but she doesn't overdo the styling. And so I, I often found well, if I was— That's why I say Beyonce Taylor Swift. Yeah, so if you're, if you're going to listen, you know, yeah, but I mean— I get it. Yeah, but, but <laughs> They're not going to do no moon at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, so who haven't we done? Well, we didn't do Tim, Tim Conway. We have to do I, Tim, I, Tim Conway. I'll just say, say very quickly about Tim Conway. The thing I remember about Tim Conway was he was on the television a lot when I was growing up. And I remember being, I don't even know how old, probably less than 10 years old. And it was the first time I remember laughing so hard I it rolled around on the floor. But it wasn't because of any particular skit that he was doing on The Carol Burnett Show, but it was because uh, he and Harvey Korman had this thing that Jimmy Fallon later became famous for on SNL, which is he, they couldn't get through a sketch without cracking up. And I just found the way that they couldn't crack up, they, they couldn't get through without cracking up, the funniest thing in the world when I was eight or whatever. And I never got over it. I, I still remember it being the, the first time I ever laughed really, really hard. So that's the thing I'll miss about Tim Conway. Mm. Um, so, uh, Carolyn, yeah, that's an interesting point because in the world of comedy, there are two schools of thought about that. And there's a lot of people who get, got really mad at Jimmy Fallon after a while on Saturday Night Live. Like, hold this kid together. Nobody wants to see you laugh. Yeah, I, well, it. With Jimmy Fallon, I have watched Tim Conway stuff where he, you know, and Tim Conway, there was something about his face. Like when he, I agree, I started to laugh as you were saying this because I agree. There was something with his face that where he felt like he was like sharing the joke with you. He's like, yeah, we're laughing and I don't, we want to laugh. With Jimmy Fallon, it it almost felt, it it was just, it, it was like jerk sometimes in the scene. Like I, I, I was one of the people who get mad with Jimmy Fallon. I was like. Dude, just hold it together. It's called breaking. Well, yeah, but it doesn't have a. It's not a nice name. No, exactly. And I, I just, I, I don't know. Tim Conway. Uh, I mean, I got into Carol Burnett show like later, and you know, went back and like revisited that. And I mean, I just think he's he's one of those geniuses that changed the game and kind of defined a lot of things. So well, it's so like beautiful about listening to you sort of reminisce on that is like the way in which these people you know, drop into our lives in such personal ways. Um, and I think that's that's what makes the threes relevant or not. Like mm-hmm. how how much has this person affected me mm-hmm. in their work and in their in their, you know, art to make it worth a list. Well, it, and I think it, it, it blows up what I'd said earlier. And I, I was looking at there's a whole website you can do this that groups people who died in threes. It was Ed <laughs> McMahon, Farrah Fawcett, and Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh. And again, they all played a role. You know, I'm, I'm a guy who got on radio. Ed McMahon had the big yeah. voice. Farrah Fawcett had the poster in the television yeah. show. And Michael Jackson had a lot of great songs. And now I feel very different about Michael Jackson than they did. But they all reside someplace in my memory. It's OK. You still go to museums and there's a lot of mentally ill and unwell people's arts. That oh, we, there's you know? a whole lot of stuff in there. Like, we would have like no I've, museums. I've said this on the show before. <laughs> I, You know, I can't listen to Miles Davis and Charles Mingus without kind of thinking, 
not great guys, but great musicians. Right. Oh, well. I mean, sometimes they are. I think one of the threes is Christopher Hitchens, Vaclav Havel, and uh, Kim Jong Il. Oh. That's a pretty. pretty, that's a pretty that was a good, that right was an there. interesting week. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. So that was like a weird, weird stretch of time. And we should say that I, I don't know what to do with it, but we were talking about it before we went the, uh, on the air. Uh, John I M Pei uh, has now died at the age of I think 102, um, and he obviously doesn't belong with this particular group. I don't I, know if he's going to start his own group. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, 102, one of the world's great architects, although he built some very problematic buildings. The, his uh, pyramid at the Louvre mm-hmm. later became very famous and very beloved. It was not at the time. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a cool building to look at from the outside. Not a great place to look at stuff from rock and roll artists because it's not really made to be anything other than a big beautiful. pyramid. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful building, but not necessarily a great museum. But he does have some great buildings, including many you can go see in uh, Carolyn's hometown of Boston. Well, Frank I Gary's say, like, I want to like, be an architect because they live forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Frank Gehry's hiding in his basement and taking vitamins <laughs> exactly. for the next two or three days. All right, let's exactly. take a little break so we'll get back and have time to recommend some things. If I had my life to live over I'd do the same thing The most memorable rule of the three celebrity deaths example for me was Boromir, Gollum, and that orc, that uh, that really big orc who died. I'm not sure they ever said his name. I'm suddenly beginning to question whether or not he was a celebrity. Today's show was produced by Sir Jonathan of House Pants and me, Kion Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, Shirley Temple, and Sid Caesar. We'll be back on Monday to scratch around in the weekend's news. And now... Back to Colin. They actually are one of those rule of three groups. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Shirley Temple, Sid Caesar. Uh, all right. So time to make some recommendations. We'll start with John Dankosky. OK, three very quick ones. I really loved the act on Hulu. Uh, it's the story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mother, Dee Dee. It's a relationship that ends very badly, as most Munchausen by proxy relationships do. Patricia Arquette <laughs> is um, is in this. She kind of chews up the scenery like in Escape from Dannemora, but in a really fun way. And Joey King, who plays the girl, is great. Um, you had Adam Ragusea on your show, Colin, mm-hmm. recently talking about the New Morning Edition theme music. I will say he has two very funny podcasts, one about Billy Joel called We Didn't Start the Podcast and another one called Outlandos to Podcast about Sting. And his <laughs> co-host is Meg Donahue, who is legit, I think, one of the funniest improv talkers I've heard in a very long time. So listen to that. And please listen to Quinn Christopherson's winning entry for NPR's Tiny Desk Concert. The song is called Erase Me, and it will make you cry if you have a soul. It's beautiful. It's, it's how he struggles with um, the newfound privilege uh, he has now that he is uh, a trans man. And it's a lovely song, and it's really, really cool. And con- congrats to him and to the whole tiny desk thing. All right. Tanisha. Uh, I'm going to endorse The Read, which is a podcast I love to uh, listen to with Kid Fury and Crystal. I'm going to— It's in- called The Read? The Read. The Read, okay. R-E-A-D. Is there another way to spell Read? Oh, Yeah. Like reading. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to call them the Markles, but really it's uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. I'm endorsing them because, you know, shout out to them for trying to have a life that's somewhat private in the midst of a, you know, public firestorm. Kudos to them for trying. Uh, And uh, Yeba Smith and PJ Morton, two uh, artists who I love and who are um, getting more attention even though they've won the Grammys. But love them. All right. 
Carolyn Bain. All right. I'm going to endorse Dead to Me on Netflix. Uh, this show is really well done. Uh, it's dark. It's funny. It's weird. Uh, it's it's a lot to process, um, but it's totally bingeable. And Christina Applegate is so killer in it. I am kind of sad that it has taken this long for her to get a role like that. But I am so happy that we get to experience her. She is phenomenal in this. Um, so definitely just, you know, sit down and binge watch that. All right. So um, uh, first of all, Jonathan McPants wants me to point out that I am paid designed a uh, Bushnell Tower, which I'd forgotten. Uh, so you can just sort of look across out the window from where we are almost and see uh, his work. So um, uh, in just a few minutes, actually, I'm going to record something with Mike Pesca, but that's not why I'm endorsing this. Uh, if you were interested in any of the things we talked about in terms of Game of Thrones, go back to his Monday episode of his daily podcast, The Gist, where he has a tremendous monologue uh, in which he talks about the what he calls, I think, the game of groans, which is uh, the way all the fans the next day, they say, well, that's not realistic or, you know, that didn't seem inevitable based on the groundwork that was laid or... Uh, or, anyway. or, or she, she ordered a latte, not a cappuccino, right, and exactly. it shouldn't have been on the table that way. <laughs> so... Um, so, you know, anyway, I don't want to step on any of my lines. That's not a wink. I don't know what <laughs> is. He has some very, very uh, funny lines uh, in the midst of all this and I think makes a pretty uh, salient point uh, while he's doing this. Uh, I guess the other thing I want to mention, and uh, John made me think of it in describing Tim Conway's impact on him. This week, I was uh, upstairs. The person uh, that I lived with was downstairs, did not care, as far as I could tell, that I seemed to be having some huge respiratory <laughs> attack that might have endangered my life. In fact, what I was doing was laughing uh, at, a, at a Shouts and Murmurs piece in The New Yorker. It's by John Kenny, a guy who I don't really know. I don't know about him that much, except that every time there's a John Kenny piece, there's about a 70% chance that this is going to happen to me. And this one is called the Kentucky Derby from the point of view of the horses. Uh, and it's kind of an oral history of what the horses in this past Kentucky Derby uh, thought was going thought was going on, uh, and I won't say more than that because I don't want to step on any of his uh, lines uh, either. Uh, and so, uh, well, yeah, I, we have uh, like a few seconds to fill. One thing that I'm doing right now, I'm rewatch. I don't like to rewatch a series that much, but since we're talking about series right now, I started rewatching The Fall, which is uh, stars uh, Gillian Anderson of, of X Files fame, uh, and uh, is about a murder investigation, a serial killer in Belfast, and. I really like the city of Belfast and I like Irish accents. So maybe you can't trust me on this one, but uh, I think she's really <laughs> tremendous in it. And the guy who plays the serial killer, who I think is named Jamie Dornan, something like that, is tremendous in it. So if you're looking for something a little bit scary, spooky, and gripping to watch, I think there are three seasons of it. So you can do that. All right. Thanks to John Dankosky, uh, host of The Wheelhouse, and next on NPR uh, and on WNPR, Tanisha Dugan is producing Associated Theater Works. Carolyn Payne, uh, actress, comedian, dancer, filmmaker. Uh, you can go to the New Haven Film Festival, uh, the New Haven International Film Festival, and especially tonight, uh, and see a Carolyn Payne dark comedy political call to action short. It is not called Veep. Uh, thanks to everybody else who helped out uh, today, especially Jonathan McPants, who pulled all this insanity together. Wolfie's been on the board, making us sound great. We'll be back on Monday, as we always are. <laughs> <laughs>